Welcome back to another exciting minute. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Die Hard Minute, where every day, Monday through Friday, movies by Minute hosts talk about one of the one minute. Jeez. <laughs> Too many minutes. Okay. Welcome back to another exciting episode, the Die Hard Minute, where every day, Monday through Friday, movies by Minute hosts talk about one minute of the greatest Reginald Bell Johnson vehicle in history. The 1988 John McCurian directed movie Die Hard. I'm Mike Carlucci of Return to Oz Minute. I'm Tierney Steele of Return to Oz Minute and the Never Ending Minute. And I'm Sean German of Spinal Tap Minute and the coming National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation Days. Oh, man. I'm definitely going to be asking you more questions about that. But first, got to talk Die Hard. What minute are we going to do today? We're doing Minute 63. Minute 63? Is that the one that starts with Hans calling to Theo on his radio and ends with Hans insisting, we must? It is. It is Minute 63. Yeah. Just for those following along at home. Um, yeah. Uh I wonder exactly when this will be airing, but I'm excited for the Christmas vacation days minute. <laughs> You're kind of breaking the mold a little there. Yeah, we're we're doing it a little bit different. We're breaking the movie down by the the days of December that the action occurs on, rather than breaking it down by by minute. But we, you know, we heard about Die Hard minute. And we figured, well, that's got the the Christmas movie minutes kind of locked up so we figured we had to do something a little bit different i like that yeah this was originally described to me as the greatest christmas movie ever made by my friend who introduced me to it so uh this is this isn't a christmasy minute though this is a great minute but but we don't get any christmas we start with uh Hans raising his walkie-talkie, calling to Theo, mm-hmm. and we see Theo mic'd, goggled, and welding, or whatever. He's actually the opposite of welding, isn't he? <laughs> Is he drilling? I guess. Sparks but, are yeah. flying. Sparks are I flying. Mean... He's deconstructing. Well, and this is key. This is a key moment because we know from the introduction where Theo talks about how long all this is going to take. So this gives us kind of a break point. We know how long they've been working. It's probably been like an hour to an hour and a half because he's through three of those seven mechanical locks. Yeah. So it gives us an idea of how long this whole operation has been going on. It's true. He's our timekeeper. Um, I have I have such problems, though, with Hans. You know, he says, we may have some problems. How's our schedule? We get the timekeeper. And he says, then don't waste time talking to me. You called him. <laughs> Looking for a status report. Yeah. <laughs> Stop giving me status reports. I mean, Stop answering when I call. Yeah. yeah what was he supposed to do? Well, I, I, I kind of thought that was a good thing that he, I mean, maybe it's not the best like bedside manner, but he's not, you know, he's not over managing. He's not micromanaging. He's just like, I've got the status. I'm good. I'm going to get out of your hair and let you do your job. You know, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Is Hans Gruber the perfect, <laughs> the perfect manager, manager ideal? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, swayed by, by Alan Rickman. Me, me and your mother were both in his, <laughs> we're both been mesmerized by him. That's like, whatever he does, that was exactly what he should have done. 
Um, so I gave him the benefit I, of the doubt on that. He got his status report. He's good. He's and he's on his way. He's letting Theo do you know do do his Theo work. <laughs> and Theo and Alan Rickman know. Oh. No, go ahead. And Alan Rickman knows his crew. Like he he probably figured he probably knows that Theo's a you know bit of a chatterbug, <laughs> and he's going to start talking about oh hey you know I was up here and. Uh, you know, I was looking at this console and, you know, they've got the IBM keyboard, you know, it's got, it's got a mechanic, it's all mechanical, it makes this great click clack sound, and he'd be telling Hans all about this great, you know, setup that he's working at. And so he knows Kelsey, he's... that's perfect because I was going to talk about this setup. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be. Um, it's 1988. But that's pretty impressive there. I don't know computers as well as you do. I was just like, yeah, those graphics, that seems advanced. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's dual monitors. He's got two screens. There's keyboards. There's switches and lights. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty high tech for the day. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Does he have one of those, like, the multi-cables tube in the middle? Is that what that is? Sorry. I have to find my little... Yeah, that plug is huge. Yeah, so there's this one big fat plug that looks like it goes to, like, your dryer. And then there's the ribbon cable (laughs) that I don't know why. That just seems like an odd placement for what are you plugging or unplugging that's, like, right on the the dashboard or the control panel like that. Yeah. I like like the look of that. uh, It's it's really, like, the proppiest prop. Between these two, you know, the the computer, the monitors look fine. They're not the mm-hmm. same, which is an interesting choice. Like, they didn't just grab two of the same same nah, system. My dad was an IT guy in the eighties. That look, that's right. We never had like our <laughs> monitors and towers were never the same company. <laughs> but this middle thing is the, this you know piece of like brushed aluminum or something with these three lights and three switches and a ribbon for. I mean, it's like the inside of a computer. Yep. <laughs> uh, you don't usually see those on the outside. And the plug is on the front, which, you know, clearly looks like power cable for your dryer. Why is it on the front? Why would you do that? And then a little slot where, you know, it's too, it's not the right shape for a disk drive. It's just sort of rectangular, like you could stick a... I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it looks like they had the shot. And they were like, we need more computer here. And they <laughs> built up something out of Galaxy Quest that is there to serve its purpose of being a prop. And you just you see it and you're like, okay, cool. And then let's go to the next <laughs> the next shot. Well, and Alan Rickman was in Galaxy <laughs> Quest. So go. made him it's feel It's all at connected. Home. <laughs> this is where he got the idea. Uh, yeah, I thought of... Uh... My mom, because when we go back to Alan Rickman, when the conversation is over, he's just like gently touching (laughs) just under his lower lip with his pinky while listening. And you have to understand, so my mom works in a library. The librarian field is stereotypically very weighted to majority women. She worked at a library that we used to call the mom library. Like everyone there was a mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I went in the back one day and I realized that every single one of them, because their desks were in a row had an uh, Alan Rickman image on their desktop. <laughs> but all different movies! <laughs> and I was just like, what is going on? And it just turned out that, like, 
every woman in this library had a crush on Alan Rickman, but from, like, something different. (laughs) Oh, man. And, yeah, when he passed away, it was the same thing. Like, I was quoting one movie, my sister was quoting another, my mom was quoting another, and my friend was quoting Die Hard. And I was just like, man, did that guy have a career. (laughs) He certainly did. Oh, man. Uh, um, I don't know anyone who had a crush on... uh, Carl Winslow, I'm sorry. I'm sure someone did. How can you not love Carl? I can love Carl. I just have never seen him used as a desktop image. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you haven't seen my computer. I have to double check his real name. I feel so awful. I keep doing that. I know it's not. I know that's not his name. It might as well be. And I know he's Officer Powell here. Al, my buddy. Yeah. Reginald Val Johnson. Thank you. How could I forget a name like Reginald Val Johnson? Reginald for Val goodness Johnson. sake. Yeah. That sounds like an Alan Rickman character. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I've just been calling him Carl. And I, I assume <laughs> Family Matters is just a, a sequel to this movie. That after all, this whole adventure with John McClane, that he just kind of goes out to the suburbs and has a family and lives next to an annoying guy, you know, an annoying kid. Yeah. Changes his name for safety. I mean, it makes sense. Well, yeah, he's got these international terrorists after him, sure. Yeah. He is <laughs> Officer Powell of the Los Angeles Police Department. He's walking away from his car, which is vertical against a cement wall. And so I have admitted before, I didn't see this movie until I was an adult, and I haven't seen it nearly as many times as many people involved in this project. I really wanted to be involved in this project, though, because I love this movie so much. Mm. I had forgotten what happened to his car to get it in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> because this is the first I'm seeing of him. And I was just like, wait, what? So I had to go back and read what happened. I was like, oh, God. I, for- I mean, not that I forgot about that, but, like, it all comes flooding back to you. Yeah, he just went flying across the, the road and, and off the shelf in reverse. Well, it seems there's there's a lot of forgetting that happens in this movie. So as as he's as Carl's walking away from his car and he's trying to get John on the uh, the radio, mm-hmm. uh, the cavalry is coming in. The cops are coming in. Horns, sirens, lights, all blaring. Whereas uh, when they originally called Carl, the dispatcher said it was a code two, and a code two refers to an incident where. Sirens are not to be used. They're supposed to be stealthy about this and maybe not <laughs> announcing, you know, each and every car that pulls up. And he's kind of waving them back and, and waving them down as well. They seem that to. That's why he's waving at them. Well, because. I could not figure out what was going on there. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. He knows they're screwing up. Now, I wonder if these guys. Are they coming because of what just happened to him? Like, do they see that car up against the wall and go, oh, and hit the hit the lights? Well, like, maybe they're like, the situation's changed, clearly. Yeah. Well, because they were pulling up, I think it was minute 59 or 60, where we first, before we go back in with Hans and Theo, we see the, the cop car start to pull up. And there we can hear them blocks away. They've, you know, they, they, oh. they, they're responding to... Uh, Carl's call on the radio where he's like, you know, I'm getting shot up here. They're shooting my car. 
So oh, they, okay. they've had the sirens on for miles around coming. They're not just turning it on because they've again, seen them, But again, and yeah. not to defend the police in this movie who make terrible <laughs> choices, like, left and right, I do wonder if it's like, well, now they're shooting at a cop car. All bets are off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, but Carl is not thinking that way, and that's why he waves them off like that. Yeah, and it's not entirely their fault. They're, they're not written well. You know, John, John's the hero, McLean, he's the hero, he's written well. Uh, Carl is, is calm, cool, and collected. He's dealing with the situation, he's written well. The the cops and then the FBI guys, when they show up, um, I don't think we're, we're supposed to uh, respect them too much. At least in, in the context of these cops in this movie. They, they make, as you said, they, they make some mistakes and, and this is just the, the first of them. I uh, I am not calm, cool, and collected because Al is saying if the person who radioed for help can hear me on this channel, and then he continues speaking. But the little like around the horn of the bad guys looking up sends yeah. shivers down my spine. It's like, oh, they know this is not gonna go well. Yeah, so they are they are listening as well as uh, as John McLean notes. He says this is a party yeah. line. As if who, well, I guess this is, these are middle-aged men in 1988. Maybe they know what a party line is. I don't know if all our (laughs) listeners on the podcast will know what a party line is. You know, I know what it is, but you're right. I bet a lot of people are just trying to look for context clues. Why don't you fill them in? Okay. Well, so before the internet... Uh, the phone company ran these things called party lines, and it was kind of like a conference line for personal use rather than business use. It was a uh, sort of a virtual room, like a conference space that multiple people could call into, and you could talk. You know, they could hang out and and talk to each other, kind of like a, a conference line, or kind of like what you might do, what we might do online through uh, chat rooms and whatnot and message boards on the uh, on the World Wide Web. Uh, in the olden days, they would do it on the telephone, and you would just call in, and you would talk to whoever else was, was called in, and they called it a party line. <laughs> so uh, There's something now with Snapchat that they're trying to do. Or maybe it's not Snapchat, but there's some app that they're like, don't let your teenagers use this, <laughs> where it's you start basically like a chat room with your friends Mm -hmm. or with whoever you invite. But then whoever you invite, anyone who's friends with them can also come in. So it can kind of just like domino. That's not dangerous at all. No. Well, yeah, that's, that's, (laughs) yeah. I don't know how long that's going to be around. It may be gone already by the time this (laughs) airs, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, because, there was a teenager describing it and someone's like, Oh, it's like a party line. And there was just like this really long silence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, just so for folks, <laughs> if they're interested in doing some historical research into party lines, uh, you should check out the movie pillow talk with rock Hudson oh, and Doris day. Yeah. And they, uh, they play a couple that meet through a party line. So there you go. <laughs> well, we've got, Budding romance here. I read you, pal. <laughs> I read you, pal. Yeah, they're they're bonding uh, pretty well, though. Speaking of people that are forgetful, John McClane feels the need to point out that uh, the other folks on this party line have itchy trigger fingers, which Carl would obviously know because they just shot up his car and he just had to go yeah. 100 miles in reverse to get away from the <laughs> building. He knows they've got trigger fingers. Like, he knows. 
I kind of wish he had interrupted and been like, yeah, no, no kidding. (laughs) Yeah, but so Sherlock. (laughs) Yeah. So this is uh, this is is this this is kind of the start of that that uh, the buddy comedy part or the the, the buddy part of this movie with uh, with Carl and John bonding over uh, over the the different sides of of this uh, situation that's developing. It's interesting that you bring up the buddy, like buddy cop, mm-hmm. as we keep referring to him as Carl. Uh, I can't help it. The typecasting of Reginald Bell Johnson. Doing a little research on his IMDb page, it turns out, just if we go by character, so we're not including Carl Winslow appearing in Perfect Strangers or in a TGIF special about new shows coming up, uh, he has played... A cop based on based on the job job titles, <laughs> such as jail guard, policeman at court, Captain Jackson. I don't know if he's a cop or a you know a ship captain, but we're just Probably gonna roll captain. with it. Yeah. Probably police. Officer Officer James on Girl Meets World. Yeah. So kind of a TJF backwards connection there. Of course, Al Powell, uh, Carl Winslow, Detective Bob Hines, and uh, Captain Graff. So that's eight different characters where he played uh, potentially a cop or someone in law enforcement. And several of those were multiple appearance. It wasn't yes. just like a one and done, you know, guest on law and order or something. <laughs> but as it turns out, that is not his typecast. His Oh, oh, ambulance driver. Do we consider an ambulance driver to be in the law enforcement? They're, they're really in healthcare. Yeah. yeah, but they're hanging out with the cops. Maybe that's how he got so, into it. One did... So we'll go with eight and a half. <laughs> yeah. So he's actually typecast as being uh, a man of the cloth. What? Nine, nine different times he played, uh, he played uh, either a father, a brother, a reverend, a pastor... Uh, brother, Reverend, Reverend, Reverend. Huh. Whoa. So, and... Well, there's the time he was an angel. (laughs) 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 His best role, however, might be from something called I'm in the Band. We'll go with that. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, he played a character called Principal Strickland, which is a recycled name from Back to the Future. Principal Strickland, yes. Yeah. If he calls someone a slacker, that will be <laughs> key. Uh, you mean his greatest role until he agrees to star in the movie I'm now writing, in which he plays a cop priest. Uh, oh. Father Crime? <laughs> oh. It'd be ironic because he stops the crimes, but yes. Father maybe crime. That. Crime could be spelled weirdly. I, I, I kind of like that. Oh. All right. I'm working on it. Get to Coming work. Coming to a theater near you. <laughs> or let's face it, a TV special. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mike, when you were counting up the the sergeants and captains and, and detective roles for uh, for Reginald, did did you count the, the judges? Oh that's an interesting point. So I mean, I mean that's kind of law enforcement. You could see someone who starts a, as, you know, in the police force, oh. maybe goes to law school at night, becomes a prosecutor and then eventually uh I see a couple just off the top a couple times where uh where he was a judge. 
So maybe that gives a, an yeah. edge to the, the law and order over the man of the cloth. Yeah, when we add in the judge appearances and his time, uh, you know, working out of the out of the ambulance, yeah. like, like he really did decide. Kind of public service was was his <laughs> yeah was his role. If, if he couldn't act, he wanted to be public. Right. Service. Well, when he when he's not serving the law, he's serving the yeah. Lord. <laughs> That's the movie poster tagline. There you go. Yeah, it's got to be like uh, yeah. Like uh, Father Crime, it's like C R Y M E or something. <laughs> like you yeah. got a twist on the spelling. K R Y. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Um, all right. Oh wait, wait. Oh, There's one more. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also a morgue attendant, so that's <laughs> that bridges. That, that's that's a little. It, it's in there with jail guard and ambulance driver as it's it's, it's vaguely it's it's in the the police interact yeah. with these people. Yeah. He's showing up to crime scenes. Exactly. Oh, man. Uh, If we're good talking about Reginald Bell Johnson, would you like to talk about our here's Johnny moment as Bruce Willis dramatically unclips the radio from the dead center of his tank top facing outwards? This, that's a look. That's a look. It is It is a good entrance, though. I will give him that. This is a good entrance. He's investigating this new floor, but... The way he like pops out is great. Oh yeah, he's he's got the gun. He's got the uh, you know the the sleeveless shirt, the green shirt with the the radio clipped on the the <laughs> neckline there. Like where you put your sunglasses, right. you know, a radio. <laughs> yeah, I mean it makes sense that way he can listen and have both his hands free. I'm not. I shouldn't be knocking it. This is actually completely sensible. It just I think it's funny. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a look. It's a look. Uh, so we get to hear start. I also, I don't think I ever put it together that he says thirty or so hostages on the thirtieth floor. That's convenient to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thirty for thirty. Yeah. 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 Good series on ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> All right, little plug for thirty for thirty minute there, but uh, they don't yeah. need it. <laughs> ESPN does not need my plugs. No, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, and I, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's the cop. He knows. I thought it looked like there were a little bit more than 30 people at that party, but let's, but it, it it goes along with the 30th floor. It just makes it all easier to remember. Yeah. yeah. I also kind of wonder if, like, that just sounded better as a line. And it was close enough. He says or so to kind of give us or, the wiggle yeah. room. Um, so which henchman is this that says we have to shut him up? I was wondering the same thing. I don't recognize this guy. The... Uh, he he looks a little bit about like uh, like AJ from The Sopranos, but I think that's just the angle that we're we're getting him in this scene. Yeah. I am notorious for not being able to keep the names of the henchmen straight <laughs> because when you're watching the movie, you don't really worry about what anyone's name is until you go to do a podcast minute by minute, <laughs> and then realize you don't know anyone's name except John and Hans. Right. Well, I know there's there's. Klaus, and he's upset because the first terrorist that that McLean kills is Klaus's brother. Mm. <laughs> After that, it gets a little hazy, and and Theo, of course, as we mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Theo will get. Um, do you know how you pronounce? Is it Uli? It's U L I. I don't know if they ever say it in the movie. I'd have to like be paying attention and rewatch it, looking for that. 
but he is the candy bar thief, and he's with Eddie, and I okay. really want it to be pronounced Uli, because, like, Uli and Eddie sounds like a sitcom. Yeah, Uli and Eddie. <laughs> they go on their little adventures together, separate from everyone else. Like, I'm down for that. It's a spinoff of uh, Father Crime. <laughs> Maybe they're his antagonists. Oh. Like, always one step ahead. <laughs> I love how much of these podcasts I just spend basically spinning my own fanfic. I think that's what the people want to hear. <laughs> I hope they're enjoying it. I also hope I'm not, like, missing anything that people are like, no, you have to talk about this. I I don't know what kind of guns anyone has. I don't, I mean, unless they specifically tell me. <laughs> it's like, there's a henchman. He's very upset. Hans is not. <laughs> yeah, we'll let the other minutes worry about that stuff. I like it. It's good. Um, so what's your... How did you come to the world of Die Hard? Because I admitted I didn't see it till I was like in my late 20s. I was a grown-up. I, I don't remember. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I probably either home video or rental or when it came on HBO. But it must have been pretty soon after it was in the theaters. Probably as soon as it came up available for rent because uh, it's it's just a, a part of the fabric of my life at this point uh you know so i can't remember the exact moment where uh where i became aware of it but it is uh it is one of those movies that stands up to repeated viewings and is is i don't know if i'd go so far as to say it's the greatest christmas movie of all time but it is up there it is high up on the list i would not argue about that my friend Kelly, she had an older brother who mm-hmm. brought all the movies home. And so they would watch this every year. Mm-hmm. Like, she just thought this was a normal Christmas special. Like, you know, you watch Charlie Brown, you watch Mickey's A Christmas Carol. Maybe you've got the Muppets version of that. And then Die Hard. And then Die Hard. Maybe you're watching National Lampoon's <laughs> Christmas Vacation. And then Good. there's Die Hard. <laughs> well, in this, there's a lot of parallels. It's very similar to another Christmas movie, and that's Home Alone. Yes. Uh, where... How much inspiration did Home Alone take from this movie? <laughs> a lot. I'm, I'm thinking a lot, yeah. Yeah. They're both out there on their own. Yeah. Just a, a wise friend they meet in an unexpected way. <laughs> See, I love Home Alone, but I am ceding to Mike because I know he is the master of that movie. <laughs> Well, there's, and there's, I'm, it's been a while since I've seen Home Alone, but isn't, doesn't at one point, like, Kevin tie a tie around his head? Um, I mean, he's got, there's certain moments that where he's got a very John McClane look as he's battling the robbers in in the house. And it's very similar to, you know, McClane facing off against um, Hans and Klaus and Fritz and Uli and Eddie and all these guys. Yeah. And I always think of the bare feet yeah. with the oh, with all the like toys and army guys. Oh. <laughs> Marv stepping uh, on the ornaments uh, uh, for no reason uh, other than to crush them under his feet. <sighs> it's painful just to watch. I love you. Have a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think if yeah. we have anything else for this minute. Again, I, I hadn't watched the movie all the way through that many times so popping in for these minutes was very like okay gotta get caught up and I was like why is he waiting for the FBI to arrive like but <laughs> I, I guess I was just kind of like yeah it seems fine let's just keep mm-hmm. going 
And well, his we, we don't know. It's so good. We don't know what his plan is. Why is he waiting for the FBI? Yeah, it's we a mystery must. at this point. And then we, we end on this, yeah, that cliffhanger. cliffhanger. Just, ugh, but we must. But if you want to find out what happens, yeah. you must come back tomorrow. <laughs> they wrote our farewell <laughs> for us. Thank you. Thank there you. you. That's perfect. <laughs> um, and anything else for this minute? I don't want to cut you guys off, even though Alan Rickman is doing my job for me. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's all I had. That covers my notes. Yeah, Alan has his timing's impeccable. Woo. Um, Sean, I know uh, your movies by minutes will be on moviesbyminutes.com, along with all the movies by minutes podcasts that mm-hmm. you can catch up on and enjoy if you like this. But uh, what's the website or best way to find you guys? Uh, well, the best way to find. Uh, Spinal Tap Minute is to go to SpinalTapMinute.com. Because that's wrapped, right? Yes, we we finished that up uh, in early July, so uh, a little while ago. But all those episodes are still up and available for download if there's anyone that hasn't heard it yet. Um, It's a great classic movie, another Christmas classic. This is Spinal Tap that we cover one minute at a time. So (laughs) I ask you all to to check that out. And then uh, coming up... For the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation Days, I don't think we have a website yet, but uh, I'm sure we'll have something eventually. And so keep an eye on that moviesbyminutes.com, and we'll we'll throw a link up there at the appropriate time. Excellent. If you're looking for a Return to Oz Minute, which Mike and I host, that is at returntoozminute.com. We're also on Facebook. I mean, you can find us. You search Oz Minute on Twitter. We're there. Um, on Twitter, if you want more Die Hard, it's at Die Hard Minute. They also have a Facebook page, and they have a listener group where because this is being hosted by all sorts of people, and they've got listeners all over the place. You can all go and join the conversation at the Die Hard Podcast Listeners Limo. And uh, if you're looking for back episodes, DieHardMinute.com has all the info. You got that. I got it. I got it. Hit your heart on Channel 5. <laughs>